Say your prayers, say your prayers. Hey, YA. How you guys doing? Happy Thursday. Hey, turn to your neighbor, look at them, and if they are not wearing green, you have my permission as your, your pastor to pinch them. I'm not wearing green. Do we have any Irish in the house? Any Irish in the house? Don't lie. Genuine, genuine Irish descent. I would love just a hand. And genuinely, really? All right. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, uh, happy St. Patrick's Day, the day where we dye everything green. But in reality, it is about a saint who uh, converted people in Ireland. Probably nobody knows that. But, but that's okay because uh, we've got lucky charms. And so... We're excited about that. So um, welcome, welcome to this series. Uh, welcome to YA. If you are joining us, we're so glad that you're here and you are coming at the perfect time. Um, we are uh, just, gosh, I just feel like God's just doing so much here and is kind of moving us into just this wonderful season. And so if you are joining us for the very first time, um, one, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But two, uh, what a perfect time to be checking this place out and to be becoming a part of this community um, and hopefully meeting some people. We're in a series called sinners sing hallelujah and here's why because uh, as pastors as church people as church goers and church attenders we talk a big game and we know quite a lot about salvation like no one really uh, has to tell us what it is uh, we've been to church enough or maybe if you're new here that's okay but for a lot of people in the room they've been to church we know what salvation is about you know uh, we we know the Romans road that you know all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned, and so we need Jesus Christ to come and be our Lord and Savior so that we can get saved, right? Like, we talk a big game about this, but then after that, we live this Christian life, and we struggle, <laughs> we still struggle with this thing called sin. And we thought, well, my goodness, um, and to be honest with you, a lot of pastors don't want to talk about this, and I don't really want to talk about this, because um, it's difficult to preach on sin because there isn't um, spe a specific road as to how to avoid sin. And so it's like, well, how do you preach this? There's no bullet points. There's no way to guide people through this. And, um, and yet the Bible says that in Christ um, we are made new, that the old is gone and that the new has come. And so if that's true then we have got to find a way, biblically, to walk through this thing as a Christian called sin. And last week, if you missed it, Connor started this series, and it was incredible. And he talked about the fact, if you missed it, go to ROYA.org and check out his message. It was amazing. But he talked about it. It was amazing. Um, um, I just felt like... I felt like the Lord was so present in the room. And so um, I hope you guys, <clears throat> if you didn't hear it, would just check it out. But but he talked about the reality that if you, um, if you struggle with sin or we struggle with sin, essentially what we are doing is we are giving in to lesser loves and lesser desires. And what we need to do instead is to indulge ourselves in the joy that is found in the Lord. And that's where we avoid sin, is by indulging in Jesus. And it was amazing. Um, and what I wanted to talk to you about tonight is the reality that the Bible says that sin doesn't have to be your master. The Bible says that sin doesn't have to lord over you, that it doesn't have to have the final say, that if you are saved in here but you are struggling, and if you are saved in here and you're like, well, I'm not really struggling, you might deal with a thing called pride <laughs> or self-righteousness. 
But if you're in here and you're saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I still struggle, that the Bible says that there is a way for you, that there is a path for you. But what's so interesting is it's not what we would think, and it's not what we normally talk about here in church. And so uh, Romans says this about our sin. It says, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall no longer be your master. Because at one point, whether you realize this or not, sin was your master. Sin owned you. Sin told you where to go. Sin defined you in a lot of different ways. And you might have walked out of your flesh in a positive way uh, where your self-effort led to good grades. Or you might have walked out of your flesh in a way where you partied every weekend. But either way, you were owned and you were defined by sin. And it says in the Bible, sin is no longer your master. And, And the way that this happens or the way that this process takes place is because you are no longer under the law, but now you are under grace. And so we're going to talk about what that means tonight. And so I titled tonight, if you're taking notes, Lawlessly Loved. Lawlessly Loved. And I think that Jesus really wants to um, just to express his affection towards you tonight and explain to you that he loves you lawlessly. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to be here. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your presence. And God, tonight I give you the room. And uh, God, I give you this stage and God, um, I step out of the way. And Lord, I pray that tonight that you would just speak to people about where they're at. I pray that you would speak to people about um, their relationship with you. That you would use this platform, that you would use this stage tonight to minister to every single person in here. God, that we would know that we would know that you're our father, God, be with us tonight. Come and be our dad tonight. God, transform us through the knowledge of your fatherhood. Transform us through the knowledge of our sonship and our daughtership. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right, so how many of you hate being told no? Like the moment somebody's like, oh, no, sir, I'm sorry, you can't stand in that line. You have to stand in this line. You're like... Lady, I'm going to stand right here, right now. I think that everybody kind of struggles with being told no. I think that it's a human thing, that every single person struggles with being told you can't or you shouldn't or don't, right? And so uh, the moment it happens, for example, if you see a sign that says no trespassing or private property or um, do not, you know, don't, don't use this trail, you're like, well, what's over there? Anyway, right? Or the moment that the little, you know, that you're walking and it's got the white guy that's telling you to walk across the street, which is so racist, and you're like, <laughs> and you're like, cool, I'm gonna walk across the street, and you look at it, and then and then it immediately says, don't walk. And what do we do? You're like, I just gotta go, you know, I'll just go faster. Like, I'm going to walk, but I'm going to walk faster. Or we get, you know, if somebody's like, oh, dude, don't go in that room. Like, it just, it just, there's a smell. And, like, just don't go in there. You're like, well, what's it, what's it smell like? <laughs> right? Like, the moment we get told no, it's almost as if we are more curious about it and we want to know more about it. 
This is true for all human beings. Uh, a friend of mine, we worked at a summer camp a few years ago, and we were told no at a given point in time. We were told that all camp counselors had, um, they could go anywhere they wanted, and they could eat anything they wanted during the day. You could be at the snack shop. You could get shakes. You could, uh, during the daytime, you can do anything you want. You own the place as a camp counselor. And we were like, sweet. They're like, here's the deal, though. Because of animals at night, you can't, you can't have any snacks. <laughs> and I don't know why, but in that moment, me and my friend Jesse looked at each other, and we were like, well, that's probably when we want snacks the most. <laughs> right? And so we came up with this whole operation of how to break into this snack shop, and it was called Operation Rolo, because all we wanted was some Rolos. And we worked extremely hard in order to overcome the you can't or the no or the whatever. I see this in my daughter all the time. You know, like, um, we'll, be, we'll be hanging out and we'll be in a store. And she'll be wandering around and she won't be touching anything. But then I'll see something expensive and I'll look at her and I'll say, honey, that's a no-no right there. Just the, what, that, what that is, is a no-no. It looks expensive. Don't touch it. And immediately she'll be like... No, no. And I'm like, yeah, it's a no, no. And she's like, <laughs> you know, and then I scoop her up and the whole thing. The other day I'm feeding her and, and I know, I know that the word no does something to my daughter. I know the way that it does something to us, it does something to her. And so she's eating loads of peanut butter. She's eating a ton of peanut butter. And I'm like, you can't have any more. Okay. And she looks at me and she's like, peanut. And I'm like, no girl, like you've had enough peanut butter for today. Okay. And she's like, oh, but peanut. And I'm like, okay. And I, as a parent, I have a choice. I can either distract her which is what you do with the two-year-old and what you should do with the two-year-old. Um, but I'm like, no, I'm the mom, you know. I'm, I'm not going to distract her. I'm not going to give her a toy or another piece of fruit or whatever. I'm going to tell her no. And so I look at her, and I'm like, girlfriend, no, no more peanut butter. And she grips the side of her high chair, and she shakes, and she goes, peanut! <laughs> and it's almost as if, y'all, it's almost as if being told no it does something to us where we want something that much more. Am I right? That being told you can't or being told no or being told this isn't for you, it almost makes you hunger for that thing that much more. And the Bible says, the Bible says that the law, that what it does to you is it actually empowers something within you to desire sin more. First Corinthians says this, the sting of death is sin. Or, yes, but the power of sin is the law. Meaning, there wasn't a whole, sin was off limits and it was bad. But you weren't aware of it and you didn't know the power that was within you to pursue it until somebody told you and put a big sign above it that said, don't do it. Romans says this. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. The Bible is very clear that the law is good. The psalmist writes and he says that the law of the Lord is perfect, that God gave us the law, that he gave us the law and that it's perfect and that if used correctly, it can produce fruit in our lives. But it says this. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was had the law not said you shall not covet. But sin, 
Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, afforded by the law, produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Just kind of let this scripture wash over your brain tonight. Paul goes on, and as he's giving this entire thesis about the law and talking about the old covenant or the way that God uh, gave us an opportunity to be in his presence through the law, he says this about the way that he interacts with God through the law, and he says this, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I do, um, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Here's what he's saying, essentially. He's saying the law is good. It's given by the Lord. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the law, but there's something deeply wrong with me. And I'm terrible at keeping the law. And here's the problem. Here's where the problem lies for you and for me and for 100% of the people in the room and for 100% of Christians out there is that for most of us in here, this is how we will try to deal with sin is by keeping the law. For most Christians, for most people that attend church, for most people that come to God, the, the way that we try to think through our sin or the way that we try to overcome our sin is by keeping the law. And we say things like, do not covet, don't covet, don't covet, don't covet, don't think about his stuff, don't think about it. I just thought about his stuff. Don't be jealous, don't be jealous. I'm gonna stay in my lane, I'm gonna like my lane, but look at his lane. And we tell ourselves, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then we do it. And just like Paul, we say to ourselves, my goodness, the very thing that I do not want to do, I want to be faithful. I want to be full of the Lord. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. And the very thing that I do not want to do, I do. This is how probably most of us, this is our default way of approaching God and trying to overcome our sin. And what you need to understand is that in reality, we think this is a Christian thing, but in reality, this is how 100% of the world approaches religion. Everyone in the world, this is how we, they deal with and this is how they approach religion. C.S. Lewis wrote a book and he uh, talked about all of the different world religions and kind of tried to find some commonalities between all of them. And he said this, he said, every single one of them has some mainframes of a moral code that they are all trying to live up to in order to connect with God on a higher level and to experience God on a higher level and then to live out his principles. And he said almost every religion had this. Major world religions uh, all agreed that we should not harm others, that we should not lie, that we should not commit adultery, and that we should care for the weaker. Most of us in here, the Bible says that the law is written on our hearts. And most of the people in the world, our default of how we approach God is through the law or through this thing called religion. Our default of how we come to God, of how we relate with God, of how we approach God is not necessarily in relationship. It's through this thing called religion or performance. And for most of us in the room, we would feel more comfortable, and we do feel more comfortable performing for God versus being pursued by God. For most of us in the room, we do prefer 
because it's a little bit more predictable, religion and rules over relationship. One of them is very navigatable, and one of them is very unknown. And so for most of us in the room, our default, whether we realize it or not, is to approach God through a set of rules, a set of religions, a set of tasks, a set of performances. And most of us, I think, feel more comfortable here. But the Bible says very clearly, if you want to overcome sin, if you want to not let sin be your master anymore, then you need to understand that you are no longer under the system of the law. Meaning this, when Jesus came, he absolutely fulfilled the law, and in that, he demolished what religion had always been. This was why everyone was so upset when he was on the scene. This is why all of the religious leaders wanted him dead. Because he was absolutely upsetting everything that had ever taken place um, up until that point. And he was saying, it's not going to be another set of rules. It's not going to be another list of to-dos. It's not going to be another set of laws. This is completely different. I've come to fulfill the law. And the Bible says, if you want to overcome sin, Romans 6 says, if you want sin to not be your master anymore, then you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. It's a difficult thing for us to comprehend because it's so easy to approach the God, the, our God through a set of rules. And so as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, um, what is it, what is it um, that the old covenant or that the law, you know, th the Lord gave us a set of rules, and so what are some characteristics of the law? And so I thought that we would um, kind of look through these really quickly. And, uh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So under the law, here we go. Under the law, it's performance-based, meaning that if you wanted to get close to God, there was a set of laws. There was the, the Ten Commandments, but then on top of that, there was a whole bunch of others, um, uh, nearly 600, I think over 600 different laws of how you were to cleanse yourself and how you were to approach God and how you were to pray and how you were to stay holy and how you were to stay righteous. It was performance-based. It was productivity-based. It was keeping a list of rules. It was controllable. And listen to me. This is why I think most of us in here prefer to approach Jesus this way. is because it is within our control. We enjoy the fact that there's a list of bullet points and this is how we can approach God. It is controllable. It is measured by your successes. The results depend on you. And sin is something that you deal with. This is under the law. Sin is something you deal with. In the Old Testament, when, when, when you would sin, when you would have a problem, when you would have an issue, you would take a sacrifice like a young goat or a young lamb, and you would take it to the Lord, and you would cut its throat, and you would lay out this sacrifice. Because remember, the Bible said that wherever there is sin, there has to be death. And you would deal with your sin. This is how it was under the law. And then Jesus comes, and he says, I've come to fulfill the law. Not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And now, if you are a Christian, you are found in me, and you're in a completely different covenant now, and now you are under grace. Grace, on the other hand, isn't performance-based at all. It's pursuit and relationship-based, which is unpredictable. It's abiding-based. It's keeping in step with the Spirit, 
which is like when you're walking with your dad. Instead of like keeping a list of rules, it's like you're walking with your dad and all of a sudden you lose his grip and you realize, oh, I just need to keep in step with my dad. It's rest. Jesus says, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden come to me and you shall find rest. It's measured by God's grace. And it depends on Christ. The results do not depend on you. And your sin under grace is completely different. The way that you handle it now is you don't deal with it on your own. You come and you bring it to your father. And what's so interesting as I read this and I'm like, okay, performance and productivity and keeping a list of rules and controllable. And you got to be successful because if you're not, like, what are you going to do, right? And I read all of these things and I'm like, what kind of people exist in this world? What kind of people, what kind of people um, does this a relationship afford? And I think that we would say that it's these kind of people. It's servants, it's slaves, and it's orphans. It's servants, it's slaves, and it's orphans. But the people that are under grace, what kind of relationship does this look like? Well, I think it looks a little bit more like a friend. I think it looks a little bit more... Like a son or like a daughter, like a bride, maybe. Looks a little bit more like an heir. And the Bible says you better be clear about what these two systems are because one of them you were under and one of them you are under now. And the Bible says that initially you were under this thing called the law. And you were under it without you even knowing. It was how you were born. It was what you were born into. You were born under the law. This is what happened with the Old Testament. This was the kind of covenant that we were in prior to Christ, before he came on the scene. And the law basically says this in Galatians. It says, before coming to faith, you were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. The law is essentially a really, really, really good guardian. It keeps you in line. It keeps you, um, it keeps you kind of, you know, it gives you a set of rules and a, and a list of things that you need to do in order, you know, like if you have a guardian, if you are an orphan or you're in foster care, it's like, well, you make your bed and you make sure you get to school on time because we want to make sure you graduate. There is a relationship that you have with your guardian. But how many of you know that a relationship with a guardian is completely different than a relationship with maybe a dad. So the Bible says the law came and it was a very good guardian for you. It took care of you. It looked after you. It made sure you didn't get out of line. It made sure that you stayed in step and that you were a productive human being. But then it goes on and it says this. So the law was our guardian until Christ came so that we may be justified by faith. Now this faith has come, meaning Jesus. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay. So this is completely different then. It says that Jesus put away the law and that you are no longer under a guardian anymore, but that now you're actually a son, now you're actually a daughter. It's completely different. Jesus, I don't think we understand with what he done on the cross, he didn't just die for your sins and die to give his life for you. <laughs> 
He died to give his life to you. And the life that you live now is completely different under this new covenant. You are now under grace. And it says that you are a son or you are a daughter. The Galatians verses are incredible. They go on and it says this. But when a set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. And the spirit cries out, Abba, Father, for you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And since you are a child, you are also an heir. The Bible makes it very clear, you guys, that we are no longer under the law. We are no longer servants. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer orphans. And so the way that you come to God now and the way you interact with God now is completely different. Now you are a son and not just a son or a daughter. You are actually an heir. Um, I have a friend named Gina, and she adopted uh, two children. And the first one that she adopted was a son. His name's Anthony. And at Thanksgiving, they had all kind of, uh, they'd been together for about maybe a year. And he had been adopted by them for about a year. And they were at Thanksgiving. And uh, some friends were over and some kids of Anthony were over, uh, kid friends of Anthony were over. And she just goes, what are you guys thankful for? What, what's everybody thankful for? And the kids kind of go around. And uh, one little boy's like, oh, man, I'm so thankful for my, for my iPad. I love my iPad so much. And she's like, that's awesome, bud. I'm so glad. And, and another kid goes and he's like, oh, dude, like my Nintendo 64 thing. Or I don't know what they have now, but the little thing. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that's super great. And they're going around. This kid's like my Under Armour gear. I love, my, I love all my, and my Nikes, you know, like. And she's like, yeah, that's super amazing. I'm so glad you're thankful for that, bud. And it gets to Anthony. And Anthony, who had known an entire life of being an orphan, Anthony, who had known an entire life of foster care that wasn't necessarily bad, where he had a guardian, where he had someone making sure that he stayed in step, that he went to school, that he was clean, that he was properly dressed. Um, Anthony, the kid who only wanted a place to call home, the kid who only wanted someone to call him son. This is what he says. He says, I'm so thankful for my mom and for my dad. He meant it from the bottom of his heart. And what I think happens to a lot of us in here is that we do not understand what we have in our father. And he's not even like an, uh, an earthly father. He's not even close to an earthly father. He's so much better than an earthly father. And we couldn't even begin to comprehend what he has for us. But you know what's wild is the Bible says that we don't just get Jesus. We don't just get our father. It actually says that we are an heir as well. It says this, so you are no longer a slave now. But you are God's child, and since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. An heir to whom? An heir to God. Meaning this, church, you get God. You get the Father. You get a relationship with him. You get to be with him. You get to say, I'm so thankful for my dad. And guess what? You get the iPad. <laughs> you get the Under Armour gear. And you get the Nikes. He says, everything that belongs to me, child, belongs to you. Everything that I have within my possession, 
I endow to you. Now you are under a new covenant. You are no longer under the law. You are under grace. But here is the problem for every single person in here is that all of us, by every right and in every position, are positionally under grace, but we are acting like and in principle walking out like we are still under the law. There's tons of people in this room tonight, and you are a child. You are a daughter. You are a son. But you are acting like, and you are approaching God like you are a servant, like you are a slave. That is how you interact with him. That is how you approach him. And he's like, do you know how good I am? Do you have any idea? And there's a story in the Bible about um, two sons. And the way that they interact with their father. And I think so much richness is in this story about how we are to approach God. And about our relationship with him and how good he is towards us. And how much we don't understand our daughtership and our sonship. And it's found in Luke 15. And it's essentially about these two sons who are 100% their father's. They are 100% found in the Father's home. They are 100% um, grafted in. They are completely loved, completely accepted by the Father. And yet, neither one of them understands what it means to be a son. And so because of that, each of them pursues life in a servanthood and in an orphan and in a slave-like fashion. You'll find this story in Luke 15, and if you get a chance, go home tonight and read it. It's the story of the prodigal son and his older brother. It's, ju it's just as much about the older brother as it is about the prodigal son, I think. But the Bible says that there's this first character named uh, the younger brother. <laughs> named the younger brother. And we meet him, and he's in the father's house, and he's living in the father's house with everything uh, that he could ever want at his fingertips. But he gets to a point in his life where he begins to think that the father's house isn't enough. Or that being in the father's presence isn't enough. Or that maybe um, the father's holding out on him. And so he starts to think, well, maybe I should go and I should take hold of some things on my own. And so he goes to his father. And in Luke 15, 12, he goes to his father and he says, look, I want to go out. I want to live a life. Give me what's mine. And what he's essentially saying is, I know that there's an inheritance. I know I'm your heir. Um, but instead of waiting for you to give it to me, I would like to take it from you. And so he comes to the father and he says, I would like to take what's mine. And listen to me. Anytime we want to sin, anytime we are tempted to sin, it is because we think that God is holding out on us. And we need to go and find pleasure somewhere else and take what is rightfully ours. And there is going to be a spirit that whispers to you that you deserve this, that you should go after it, that you really, um, that maybe you should take what's yours because there's no pleasure to be found here. I'm going to go find it on my own. And this is what the son is doing in this moment. So the son goes away to a faraway country, and I picture it being like Las Vegas, but he like moves there, you know what I mean? And he settles in, and he becomes the man, because he has an inheritance. He's got tons of friends, he's got the nightlife, he's got the good suits, he's got the money, he's got the girls, and he spends, the Bible says he spends all of his money on reckless and wild living. And he goes, um, he goes out, and it, the Bible says at some point he runs out of money. And here's the deal with sin is that at some point we always run out, don't we? It always runs out. 
The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but at some point the money runs out, the fun runs out, the jollies run out, and you wake up the next day and it's all over. And so the sun goes out and he spends all of his money and it's all gone. And it says that a famine begins to take place in the land. And I read his story and my heart is broken for him because I realize he just doesn't know the heart of his father <laughs> at all. Because then he begins to think about how he's going to go home. And this is what he thinks to himself. He says, I'm going to go home now. And what I'm going to tell my father is, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so I've sinned against you. And I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so I'm going to go home and I will be as one of your hired servants if you would just feed me so that I don't have to be um, in this desperate famine. And so he goes home. And as he approaches his father, I think it's so interesting. And I was praying about it this week. That the father is almost um, flippant with his sin. Because he comes marching up. Ready to, ready to repent, ready to grovel, because this is what we do, right, under the law. This is how we operate under the law, is we come to our Father and we said, I've done, so, I, you know, and it goes beyond repentance. It's not just repentance for us. We have to grovel. We have to make it right. We're going to spend, you know, four years making sure that it's right, or the next four months making sure that we do better, and we're going to get nine accountability partners, and we're going to make sure that we have all the right people in our lives, and we're reading the right Bible verses, and we're going to try really hard, and we're going to attend church every weekend. And if you are caught in the law system, it's essentially this system where you perform for God, you fail at some point, and then you work your way back up until you're feeling good about yourself again. And you feel like you are welcomed in his home. And so the son is coming home, and he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father won't even, I, I, I was reading it this week, and he doesn't even talk about his sin. And I, I asked the Lord as I was reading this, I was like, Lord, is this how you view me when I sin? Is this how you view us when we sin? You look at us and you think, I'm just so glad you're home. I don't even really want to talk about it. I'm not even thinking about it, to be honest. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, Lord, is this how you view me when I come home? He comes home and, and instead of getting reprimanded or instead of getting a scolding or instead of getting his just deserves because that's the way the law works. We always think that we need to operate in such a way where we get what we deserve. Either we deserve righteous or either we deserve um, good things because we have been righteous or we deserve punishment because we have been bad. And listen to me, this system always leads us to a place where we are either feeling prideful and self-righteous or we are feeling terrible about ourselves. And we may be thinking, oh my goodness, well, I don't sin in this way, in this way, in this way, and so I'm so much better than all these people over here. And then we downplay the areas of our lives where we do sin and we're like, well, that's not really that big of a deal. That is what it's like to live under the law. You are either self-righteous and prideful or you are discouraged and disheartened and you don't feel like a son. And he comes home, and instead of receiving 
punishment from his father, he receives a party. And listen to me, he had already received all of his inheritance from the father. And you know what the father gives him? He gives him more of his inheritance. Listen to me, how good of a God do we serve? Where he got, we come home to him and you have messed up and you have made mistakes and you have really ruined it and you have really made some big problems and big issues in your life and it is your fault and you know it and you come home and he says, that's okay. I don't even want to talk about it. I actually have more good things for you. That is how good. And we don't understand who he is, y'all. We don't understand what kind of Jesus we serve, what kind of God we serve. That's how good he is. We come home and he says, I'm going to throw you a party with a ring and a robe and a dance floor. I'm giving you that much more of myself and my money and my stuff. It's wild. He doesn't hold back anything of himself from us, and yet we are so terrible at receiving from him. This system is completely about you achieving. Grace can only be about you receiving, and that's the truth. You can't earn it. You were never good enough for it. You won't be good enough for it when you're 70 and you feel a whole lot holier than you do now. You can only receive the grace of God. Band, you guys can come back out. It shocks me the way the father deals with this boy's sin. Because it's not how I view my father sometimes when I come to him. When I've fallen short. I think, my goodness, you must want me to, you're probably going to take from me, right? I mean, I've really messed up this time. He says, no. According to this story, this is the father, and this is the father's heart. He wants to give you all of himself. Not only that, he wants to give you a party, and he wants to give you his inheritance again. This is grace, and it doesn't make sense. There's a second son in the story, the older son. And he's a lot more, I think, like maybe a lot of us in the room. Um, he does what's right by his father. So while his younger brother takes off with half of the inheritance of his father and goes and squanders it in wild living, he stays at home. And what he ends up doing for the next uh, couple of years or um, however long this time period is, he manages his father's household. He overlooks his father's servants. He does what is right in the eyes of his dad. He spends all of, this, all of his time working for his father and, and doing well. And then the son comes home, the younger brother comes home, and the Bible tells us that at this moment, even when the son comes home in all of his disgraces, the older brother or the good son is out in the field doing what he should be doing. He was out in the field taking care of all of his father's business. And so he gets word that suddenly there's a party going on at his father's house. And he thinks to himself, well, my goodness, why is there a party over there? And he immediately, when he finds out that his, his younger brother, he is stricken with deep, deep, deep jealousy. And so if you think the older brother doesn't sin, you just need to read the Bible again and read his emotion in this moment. He is so jealous of his younger brother. And he says to the servant, he says, you tell my dad I'm not going to that party. I won't show my face there. Are you kidding and the father comes out. Now picture this. Picture the father coming out into the field. He comes out and he's like, son, why won't you come into the party? 
your brother was gone. Like, I thought he was dead. Why won't you come inside? And he says, Dad, and this is his exact words. He says, Dad, I have been here for the last two years, and I have been slaving for you. Those are the words he uses. I have been slaving for you. While this son of yours, not this brother of mine, but this son of yours was out squandering everything that he had. He said, I've been doing what's right. I've been measuring up. I've been reading my Bible. I've been attending church. I've been doing all the things that I should have been doing. And you haven't even given me, and this is what he says, so much as a goat. And you're throwing him a party. And the father looks at him and listen to me, church. Neither one of these kids gets it. And I think they're so much like us. Neither one of them understands who they are as sons. Neither one of them understands what's accessible through the Father. Neither one of them understands what it means to live in the Father's house or what kind of inheritance they have or what kind of power they have through their Father or what kind of love they have or what kind of freedom they have or what kind of safety they have. None, neither one of them get it. And he looks at his Father and he says, you didn't even give me a goat. In other words, I was doing all this to earn my way into your love and into my inheritance. And the dad looks at him and he's like, son, you have always been with me. Jeez, come on, Lord. Luke 15, 31. My son, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. And tonight, think what God wants to communicate to every single one of us in here. I know this is what he wants to communicate. Is that you are no longer under the law. That you no longer live in a system. Not now, not today, not any day forward. You no longer live under a system where you perform for him, where you achieve for him, where you be productive for him you say, oh, I've done all these successful things and I've brought all these people to church and look at how I'm volunteering and look at how you no longer exist in that system. Now you are a son and you are a daughter and you exist under grace. And he loves you lawlessly and recklessly. And he says, everything I have belongs to you. It's all yours. It always has been. This is the relationship he wants to have with you, something that's intimate and close and deep and real and not mechanical and rules-based. You can only receive from him. You can never achieve from him, and that's real. And tonight, he's looking at all of us in the room, and he's looking honestly at Christianity in general, and he's like, look, I really I don't want you to perform for me. I don't need your speeches. I just want you to come home and listen to me. This is a much different system, and this is a much actually harder thing for us to do than to write down a list of bullet points that you're so happy the pastor gave you, and you go home, and you check them off your list, and you feel really good about yourself. This is not what Jesus wants with us. And I am I'm working through this with you, but this is not what he wants from us. He wants to engage in relationship with us. And he says, everything I have is yours. My fatherhood, my love, my acceptance, my inheritance, everything that I have is yours. But what the deal is, is that under grace, it requires all of you. It's not like the law. And so tonight, if everybody could stand, I think I think that God just wants us to know this tonight.
something very simple. And something that you can recite over and over as you go home tonight, that sin is no longer your master because God is your father. Sin is no longer your master because God is your father. Sin is no longer my master because Jesus is my father. Sin is no longer my master because God is my father. Sin is no longer my master because God is my father. And tonight, I think there's a whole bunch of people in the room who don't know him as this kind of a dad. And so what I would like to do tonight is with every head bowed, if there's anybody in here, that doesn't know this kind of God, that doesn't know this kind of love, that doesn't know this kind of acceptance. And you're like, God, I want to come home. I have a a speech ready, and I'm not good enough, but I'm trusting that you meet me where I'm at and that you don't even want to hear a thing about my sin. If you're in here and that's you tonight and you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, but not only that, you want to receive God as your Father. Would you just raise your hand? Awesome, awesome, awesome. (laughs) And the second question is this, and you guys can open your eyes. Tonight, I would love to invite anybody that just wants to experience God not as a savior, but as a dad. He's not like your dad, and he's not like my dad. He is a good, good father. If you're in here tonight and you're like, I just want to come home, (laughs) I've been feeling like I've been trying to measure up. I've been feeling like I've been trying to do right. I've been feeling like my entire relationship with him is dead and dry, even though I am hitting all the marks. If that's you in here tonight, I want to invite you to just come forward as an act of faith and to just say, God, my prayer for you, I'm going to pray for you as you come forward, actually. So if you're in here and you're like, you know what? just want to know him as my dad. Um, I know it's kind of awkward, but go ahead and come down. Just come forward. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that that he um, invests in you. I'm going to pray that he reveals to you who he is as your father, who he is as your dad. I know it's hard if you're in the middle. I'm proud of you for climbing on seats. Let me just pray. God, I pray that tonight, that you'd help us abandon religion, that you'd help us abandon the law. And God, I honestly do not care. I don't care if one person gets this or 700 people get this. But God, I just pray that tonight that you would just move on behalf of at least one of us tonight and let us know, God, that you are not just our Savior, you're our Father. You are not You are not wanting a mechanical relationship with us. You are wanting all of us. And God, you say that you will give us all of yourself. And so I pray that tonight that your Holy Spirit would work in people's hearts. Sin is not our master because you're our father. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.